Let's turn to the book of James, chapter 2. James, chapter 2. And we want to begin reading verse 18. And I will read verses 18 down through verse 19. That will actually be our text today. James, chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou, O man, no vain man, that faith without works is dead? Actually, I read verse 20 there, but keeping in thought here this morning, we want to realize that beginning in verse 14, uh, which is really the second portion or second section of this chapter, though really though it doesn't begin a new theme with James. James is certainly speaking germane to the point that he had been speaking there in chapter, uh, the beginning of chapter 2 and also even into chapter 1. Our Christianity, basically, what he's been saying all through this book up to this very point, is that our Christianity will be known by the fruits that we bear in our lives. That is really the theme here. And we just said the other theme was, of course, that true religion. Well, true religion will bear fruit then in our lives. So James' theme at this point is that faith, though, without works is dead. It is a faith which cannot and does not save. Let's read that first 14 down through our, to our text this morning where he says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. So, faith without works is dead. And thus, it cannot and does not save. And a person may profess or say they believe, but if there are no works, then that profession of faith then is vain and useless just as vain, just as useless, and the possessor of that is just as deceived and just as destitute of true religion, just as it's expressed there in chapter 1 and verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious, then brighteth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Also previously, he talked about don't be just doers of the word, but be, excuse me, hearers of the word, but be doers, because if you don't, you're deceiving your own self. That's the kind of man that has, that says he has faith, and yet does not have works to show forth that faith. Now last Lord's Day, we looked at verses 14 down through verse 17. And this passage as well, as the remainder of this chapter, has been used, as you remember, as we spoke about, to show that James is in disagreement with Paul. That is because James here is stressing works to such a point that they have dreamed up that it just disagrees or contradicts what the Apostle Paul has said in the book of Romans and also in the book of Galatians. 
The issue they claim is that Paul in his epistles teaches justification or salvation is by faith alone, apart from works. And James here, on the other hand, is, is teaching that salvation and justification is by faith plus works. Now, since this is a common assertion, we dealt with that, you remember, last Lord's Day. Actually, to sum it all up here this morning, Paul and James, in reality, are in complete agreement with one another. Salvation is not gained by works, just as James believes. And he also believes it is received by faith alone, just as the Apostle Paul certainly taught. As we show the falseness of this claim, both of salvation gained by works and the idea that Paul and James are at odds. And we gave forth several points as to show why of all of this. As well, we did give the meaning, I trust, to verses 14 down through verse 17. Verse 14 sets forth James's point. He asks here the question, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? Now, what's true, he doesn't answer that question in this verse, yet it's very apparent from the next couple of verses what the answers are. The answers are no. That kind of faith, or a faith without works, cannot save. It's a defective faith. It's a faith that falls short of the faith of God's elect. Another thing we note in verse 14, he's using here as an argument, or he's using it here to speak of a man who can say that. What doth it profit my brethren, though a man say he hath faith? And there are a lot of folks, as you know, who say they have faith. They make a good profession. But, of course, their profession is not walked out in their lives. Then in verses 15 and 16, We see here an illustration. He gives the illustration that if a brother or sister is naked and they're hungry, and all we say to them is, well, you be full and God bless you and send them on. He says that's useless and vain. It won't work. It doesn't feed the tummy and it doesn't warm them up. He says that's the same way that faith without works is. Now again, this is not an exhortation to feed the brethren or to clothe them. That, of course, is shown in another place. That's very plainly laid out in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18. So he's not dealing with that. That is simply a, um, an example to show that faith without works is dead. Again, he says that, for instance, in verse 17. Even so, that is in the same manner, that's an adverb, even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being dead. Alone, So he reminds us very carefully here, it cannot save. And secondly, it's a dead faith. So he's using this illustration of feeding the brethren just to show forth here what a dead faith is like. So verse 17 then is the summary. A faith which cannot and does not produce works, or is without good works, is dead. So, such a faith, then, is not saving. 
it cannot save and does not save. Now, he's not denying it's a faith. By the way, he calls it here faith. But it is a faith that is dead as far as salvation is concerned. Again, it's not the faith of God's elect. Don't read into something James hasn't said. But also read what he has said. Don't make those two mistakes. So let's begin this morning there with verse 18. And he begins another angle at this idea of what he's been talking about. Faith without works is dead. He's not changing the subject. He's still talking about true Christianity, true religion, uh, a religion that will bear fruit. He's not departed from any of that. But now he's going to come at it from a different angle. And in verse 18, he comes at the angle with a challenge. He sets forth a challenge here to us or to the readers. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Now, if you read that or listen to what I just said there, this sounds a bit strange in our ears, doesn't it? You can admit it, it's okay. If verse 18 sounds a little strange. Well, don't feel bad because verse 1 did too, you remember? And uh, where he says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. It sounds there, don't act like Christ. But that's not what he's saying whatsoever. So yes, I admit here, this is a difficult phrased verse. The problem though arises not seeing that this is part of an illustration of the difference between a dead faith and a faith with works. And so the main trouble here is, I think, in looking at verse 18, is who's speaking here and how far he speaks. In other words, how much is the man who says here, uh, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith. We have no quotation marks in our Bibles. I know some of them do, but the author of our version does not. And so it's difficult to determine just where this man says what he says and when he stops saying what he says. That's the difficulty of this passage. And maybe you've got it all figured out, and that's fine. But the point here is, not so much that, because I think the context will bear what this means. It will bear it out. At any rate, we do see, though, it is a challenge set forth in the way of an objection. Remember, Paul is trying to show a faith without work, or James is a faith without works is dead. And so what this verse boils down to, according to the context and to the flow of, of James's thought, is this. Faith can only be demonstrated by its fruit or its good works. Or we can say its obedience. So, again, I don't know the alls of, the, of verse 18, but I know that's what he means. And I know that not so much because I can understand verse 18 in and of itself, who says what and where he stops, but I know that's the flow of James's thought. So whether we can say exactly where this man stops in his quotation here, the point of the matter that that whole verse is put there to show us that faith can only be demonstrated or show that it's real by good works. You see, the point here is, it's impossible to see faith. Have you ever seen faith? 
If you have, what does it look like? What uh, has it got a color? Uh, does it? You know, it doesn't. It doesn't, does it? One cannot see someone's trust in their mind because that's where faith is at. It's obviously it's in the heart, but it means there the mind and sincerity and such as that. But the fact of the matter is, you can't see it, can you? If I told you, I, Mark Langley, have faith in Jesus Christ, you would go, okay, where is it at? Well, I can't put my hands in my ears and then pull this out and say, well, there it is, look. You see it, don't you? You see it. It can't be done, can it? Well, that's a very homely illustration of what I'm saying right now. Faith cannot be seen. How then do we see faith? How then can I know that faith exists since I cannot see the thoughts of other people? It's impossible, isn't it? To see it with the eye. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. I know at least there he means. You cannot see faith apart from works. That's the point he's driving home here. Let me illustrate this a little bit more about the not being able to see faith. You remember comic books, or even if you read the daily news or the newspaper, you go to the comic section and you see the comics laid out. You know, and of course they're just two-dimensional figures. They're not living and breathing. Sorry if you thought they were. They're not. The fact of the matter is they're just ink and paper, aren't they? And they're pretty flat. And so you know someone's talking or thinking by what way? How do you know? Because someone, the artist has drew this little box or this circle, this bubble, and then he draws a little tail to that man who is speaking or the man's head to show what's being said. So, uh, said. Otherwise, they would just be stick figures or figures within that cartoon box, wouldn't it? So the only way you know what that person in the cartoon is saying or what he's thinking is that that bubble is drawn and there is an arrow going to him. And then the words are put in there. That's like faith in us. Unless there is a box, a bubble, drawn with a little arrow pointing to me, there is, you would not know I had faith. And what will be found in that box or that bubble is not Mark Langley has faith, What will be written there or seen there will be my fruit that faith produces. So tomorrow when you read the newspaper and you see the comic books or comic section, you'll think of that, I hope. And that will make you think about the sermon, make you think about whether you have faith or works or not. Because you cannot see faith, you cannot even see your own faith. That's just how invisible it is. But what we can see, though, is the fruit of faith. Unless there are works to manifest that faith or declare that faith or to evidence that faith, yea, even to justify that faith, how can it be seen? 
say it can't. That's exactly what James is saying in verse 18. Show me your faith without works. Well, I can't. Exactly. I can show you my faith by my works. And that's the only way you can see it. And so the conclusion here is plain. You cannot see faith. It's impossible. And a man may say he has faith, but brethren, that is not enough. It's not enough witness to prove one's faith or to prove faith is, uh, exists. And there are many like that, aren't there, out there? You can meet people on the street, on the job, in the school. Are you a Christian? Oh, well, yes. Are you a believer? Well, yes. Are you, do you have religion? Well, yes. I mean, no one hardly says no. I mean, you do find some who are at least honest enough to say that. But the majority will say, yes, I'm a Christian. Now, whatever they may mean by that doesn't make any difference. The point is, they have a profession. And sadly, that's all it is. A profession. Let's look at verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So my second heading here is, Belief in God is not enough evidence, nor does it prove that there is saving faith. Belief in God is not enough evidence, nor is it necessarily saving faith. Let me read that last part again, because I did change it a bit when I announced it then. All three things are correct, but this is the point I want to bring out too this morning. Belief in God is not enough evidence to show that you have faith. That is saying it. Nor is it necessarily saving faith. You can believe in God and still be damned. Hard to believe that one, isn't it, today? That you can believe in God. Have some orthodoxy, even, about your profession. I believe there's one God. And yet still be damned. I want you to notice, first of all, in this verse and under this heading, notice the statement... Thou believest there is one God. He says here, you say, there, and believe, not just say here, but he believe there is one God. And see here, notice there's the existence of God that is stated. A person can believe there is one. In fact, uh, that's even something we don't even have to argue with. I know there's people who make a living telling you you've got to argue God's existence. But everybody knows it. They're just after your dollars. Man by nature knows there's a God. That's what the Bible says. And I'm going to believe it before I believe someone who's making a buck off of me. The Bible declares there's a God and men know they're the God and men know they're going to be judged by that God. Now, they don't know who that God is. That's true. It's the unknown God to them. But they know there's something out there. They know there's a God. 
But they go further than this in this profession and in this faith. Notice, thou believest there is one God. Not just there's a God, but there is one God over against the fact that there are many, that many people think there are many gods. So we have some good orthodoxy here. Good, sound Christian doctrine. Biblical doctrine. In fact, James even commends this. Notice in verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God? Thou doest well. Now, why is that a good thing? Well, for one thing, it's a biblical truth. It's always good to believe the Bible. That's a well thing. There is a God. There is this God who is revealed in creation, Romans chapter 1. And this God is revealed in Scripture. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Yet the statement is even more than this, isn't it? There is this belief that there is one God. It's a complete thought here. There's one God. Now, Israel and other nations uh, of the world of that day, and even of our own day, got into much trouble in believing that there were numerous gods, didn't they? The fancy name for that children to believe in there's many gods is polytheism. Poly meaning many. Theism having to do with God. So, polytheism is the uh, belief in many gods. But, James says, you believe there's one God, a monotheism. That is, only one God. He says, that's great, that's good. And this is true. There is a God, and there is only one God. The Scripture says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's why it's a good thing to believe that. Because it's true according to Scripture. Isaiah, for instance, oh, he spends a lot of time trying to hammer that out against Israel. In Isaiah, for instance, he tells us in verse 21 and 22 of Isaiah 45. Don't turn there, I'll just take you there. He says, Tell ye, and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Hath not I the Lord, and there is no God else beside me, a just and a Savior? There is none beside me. Lucky unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else." Verse 5 of that same chapter says, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. Chapter 44 and verse 8, he says, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from, from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? And God answers this. Yea, there is no God. I know not any. You are even in agreement with God Himself if you believe there is one God. You're on the same side of God in this theory of one God. John, 1 John 5 tells us in regards to there is only one God. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. 
the Lord Jesus confirms the same. When they came to Him and said, Lord, Master, what is the greatest of the commandments? And He says, the greatest is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And it is Him you owe all to. He says, that's the greatest of the commandments. And I'm here to tell you this morning in in the same way that uh, James here does, that if you believe this, you do well. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. So you've done good. Good job, as they say today. But know this. Know this. So do the devils believe that. Not only is it so true, it's in God's Word. It is so true that even the devils believe it and tremble. That belief in itself, though, you see, saves no one. While it is a necessary component, as I would say, of saving faith, but let me tell you, the devils believe as much. You want to be right about God? Then yes, you need to believe there is a God and that there is one God. But know this, the devils also know that. And they tremble while you raise up your ugly head and your fist in the air and complain against God, they tremble towards this one God. And then notice thirdly in verse 19 or verse 20, here's the summation of all this. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Such a faith has not works. In other words, you can have the faith of devils and there won't be any works. There won't be any evidence that you have true saving faith. And notice this. But but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? He's saying here, don't you see this? I've been arguing this actually from the beginning, but especially from verse 14 all the way down. I've really hit the nail here. Don't you know this? That faith without works is dead. That faith without works is not saving. Even though you believe, but you believe the very same things that the devils don't even argue against. And not only do they not know, they know this, they do know this, But they believe it. Just like you may. And do you not know that such a faith, even as orthodox as it is according to Scripture, is nonetheless dead without works? Such an example of faith is worthless. If no works. O vain man, that faith without works is dead. And we can go back up to verse 17. Notice, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. 
unless in the matter of salvation, I mean, excuse me, it's useless in the matter of our salvation and justification. Such a faith does not save. And more in the context, it cannot demonstrate faith. A faith without works cannot demonstrate saving faith. Underscore that because that's part of James's context. And here, and listen to me carefully, hence we can see here just a hint regarding the assurance of saving faith. It's not some experience of wonder. It will be seen by the fruits of what faith brings. Notice what he's called here who has this kind of faith and this kind of thinking. O vain man. What kind of a fellow are you who wants to go to heaven on the devil's faith? You're a vain man. You're an empty man. You are useless. He's not only, but it also has the idea he's, it means not only nothing but proud. A man who's vain is someone who's proud. But the point of here is, you're just as damned as the devils. Well, that's what he means in verses 18 down through verse 20. Again, I recognize verse 18 is a little fuzzy. But in the context, it still only is trying to show us that faith without works is dead. And it cannot be demonstrated apart from works. So the importance then of works evidencing our justification. And hence, again, that's why I said it's important in the idea of assurance. First of all, then, in application, is James teaching here that works somehow merit or earn our salvation? And the answer here is absolutely not. He is in agreement with the Apostle Paul. It is by faith. It is a faith that looks and trusts God in the redemption and the blood of Jesus Christ. It is faith in that God has punished His own Son in the place of sinners, the just for the unjust. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Those are very great and precious promises to God's people. And James in no wise contradicting those great passages of Scripture. Salvation is by no merit of our own. No works, no goodness, no righteousness, no law-keeping. No acts of love can merit our salvation before God. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Great and precious promises, aren't they? And aren't we thankful that it is that way? 
that it isn't by works that I might be able to produce. Because James is going to tell us, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. And there will be no hope. Or we may think when we're guilty of one transgression of the law, or transgressing one part of the law, we're guilty of all. There's no hope then, is there? If it's depending upon our goodness and our law-keeping. But thankfully, it does not. Our faith looks to Christ and to Christ alone. But, and this is an important but here, beware if you say you have faith, then there will be works. Not that those works justify you in that sense, but they do justify your faith. They will be the evidence of whether you pass from death unto life. They will be the evidence of whether that faith you say you have that is in line in some points, even with the doctrines of the devils, that they believe in one God. But it better produce fruit. Back again, remember we quoted Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 a while ago, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works or that of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not a worse that man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We're not saved because of our good works, but we are saved unto them. That is, to do them. And they must and they will be there if they're saving faith in the heart. And notice as well, when he just says works, he kind of leaves it open there, doesn't he? Yeah, even a dead faith has works. Bad works. So we have to qualify the works here, doesn't it? What works are they? Well, it's the works according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that God has ordained from the foundation of the world. His Word. The do's and the don'ts. Because even the flesh produces, and I think James says it this, or uh, Paul says it this way in Galatians, it produces works. They're called what? Works of the flesh. Is that the kind of works that justify? In this sense that James is talking about? Absolutely not. So we can have a lot of, quote, religious works about us, and they're just as vain as our faith. We better make sure that they're biblical works. On top of that. And then here we see the popular lie or the fallacy that is, which is this. If I believe in God, all is well. My soul is safe because I have a belief in God. Well, we see from this passage that's not so, is it? That is a lie. The world may tell us this. Religious leaders may tell us this. But the Scriptures tell us something differently. Having the faith of devils does not save, which is to believe there is a God and that that God is one. It does not save us. It will come up short at that last day. Besides that, there is no knowing God apart from Christ. 
So it's not just, I believe in God. You have to believe in God through Jesus Christ. Which James is not even hitting on. But that's where a lot of people like to hit. They would like to have a, a God without a Christ. That's what the, uh, the Gentiles wanted. That was foolishness to have a crucified Christ. Jesus says that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent Him. Listen to that. If you do not honor Christ, you do not honor God. So the Muslims are just as deep in that going to hell as any other religion is. Because they leave out Christ. Despite what you may hear from the White House. It's not the same God. But further, it is not enough to believe there is a God or even that that Jesus is God. Because you remember the devils believe that. And the Gospels, did we not see the, the devils coming and falling down before the Lord Jesus and acknowledging Him as the Son of God? Even that knowledge and that faith does not save. It is a dead faith that will bear no good works. So be sure this morning of the foundation which you're building upon. So many are deluded that they have faith that brings forgiveness, but they do not. The faith of devils believing in one God does not. Satan, the world, false teachers, false religion has fooled into thinking that all is well. And they've made them a two full more child of hell than themselves. Think of that. The false teachers have made their teachees a two-fold more child of hell than themselves. You see, many can think that they can nod their head to God on Sunday and live like they won't without God the rest of the week. According to God's infallible word, they're deceived, aren't they? And what of you here this morning who make no profession at all? You hear this and you think, well, who cares? Or I don't want that now. I'm too young. I'm too busy. I've got education. I've got a life to live. I want to do this. I want to do that. I'm all too up, up wrapped up in this life. My friend, if a man's religion is vain who possesses no works, what of your lack of religion bring you? You may answer, well, at least I'm not like those who profess a religion like the hypocrites do. And I know that they'll perish. At least I'm not like that. Well, you know what? You'll perish too. You'll be in the same hell. You will die in the same sins. And you will spend an eternity in hell suffering along with the hypocrites that you so not want to be like. You see, you're going to end up in the same place. That's how foolish your reasoning is. That your end is still the same as the hypocrite. Hell, punishment, condemnation forever. 
And yet you think you're so smart. You show us how foolish you really are. Your hope is not what hypocrites do or don't do. Your hope is in what Christ has done. So you need to repent and believe the gospel. Your only hope is in the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin and look, or what we call trust, that Christ's suffering and His death is God's only way of forgiveness. Don't trust in your works. Don't trust in your religion. But trust in Christ who has satisfied the righteous demands of God through Jesus Christ. You see, that's the good news. That's the, that's the gospel, which is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. It is the Christ that we preach today to you. Look upon Him and believe for righteousness, for forgiveness, for pardon, and eternal life. The Scripture says, and this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. He says in another place, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but that the wrath of God abideth on him. Remember when the Philippian jailer was so convinced of his sin after the earthquake? What did he do? He fell down before Paul and Silas and he says, What must I do to be saved? And Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Good news, sinner. There's the hope and none other.